From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, we are looking this morning, beginning in verse 5, and I would invite you to read this along from the board as we read together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Our Father, we cry out as that song does that you are our strength. You are our comfort. Lord, you are our hope. You've taken our sin. You've taken our cross and our shame Lord, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You are truly the treasure that we seek. And yet we are so prone to seek other things other than you, things that will give us temporary happiness, will build our own little kingdoms as opposed to yours. Lord, we have such a tendency to, to be so selfish in our prayers even. And so, Father, we want to stop this morning and we want to acknowledge that you are God and that our full dependence is upon you, that it is your glory that we seek it is your kingdom that we want expanded. And it is your son that we want to magnify. And we recognize that we can only do that through the power of your spirit. And so, Father, we have come to hear your word this morning. We're not here to hear the wisdom of man, to have our ears tickled, to have any of these other things, but Lord, we come solely to hear from you. And we know the way to do that is through your word. And so for this next time, Lord, as we worship in your word, may you move me aside and may you work in the hearts and lives of everyone who's here. Father, may your spirit speak to your people exactly what they need to hear, including me. And most of all, Lord, may you be glorified. May Satan be terrified. And may your people be edified as we, as we leave so that your kingdom will go forth. Lord, help us to not view our church as a holy huddle on Sunday morning but a people on mission, a people who have a goal, a people who have engaged in the war. Lord, we don't want to be on the sidelines. We want to be on the field. And I pray that you will help us, strengthen us, renew us, provide us with everything we need, not for our desires, not for our health and wealth, but Lord, provide us for everything we need in order to accomplish your glory. It is in your name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. We are gonna be looking at um, Matthew chapter six this morning. I invite you to turn there in your copy of God's word. Matthew chapter six. I believe I told you this story before of how uh, an NPR newscast, they always end by 
by thanking different sponsors, and it's usually businesses and, and stuff like that. But, um, but on one occasion, they, they thanked the estate of this uh, individual. I believe his name was Robert Stevens. And uh, one of the people at NPR had never heard of this person before. They never knew who he was. And so they decided to do a little research and they, and they were astounded to discover that Robert Stevens was a homeless man who lived from shelter to shelter. He depended on uh, everyone else for food. He depended on everyone else for everything that he needed. And yet, Robert Stevens was a millionaire. He was worth about $4 million, according to the estimate that was given in 2009. Now, think about that for a minute. Can you imagine having that much wealth and provision available to you, and yet you choose to live homeless? You choose to live in shelters. When, when you could have a mansion, you choose to live in, in homeless shelters. Can you imagine having that much provision available to you and, and simply refusing to even take advantage of it? And yet I wonder how much of us don't have to imagine that because the truth is, is that when it comes to our prayer life, we have so much available to us. We have so much power, so much, uh, so much of God's riches, so much of his grace that is available to us on a day-to-day basis. And yet, how often do we squander that provision by not calling upon it and not taking advantage of it. Or when we do take advantage of it, we take advantage of it for the wrong reasons. You may remember in James uh, chapter four, verses one through three, that, that wonderful passage that I tell you guys is a three o'clock in the morning passage. In other words, if I break into your house at three o'clock in the morning, wake you up from a dead sleep and ask you to explain James four, one through three, you ought to be able to from a dead sleep. It should be that close to your heart, you know, and then you can shoot me or whatever you're going to do. But, but, um, but the point is, is that that passage is so diagnostic. It is so rich in detail. And one of the things that he says is that you have not because you ask not, or when you pray, you pray to fulfill your passions, Beloved, Calvary Baptist Church this morning, we've been praying for revival, we've been praying for renewal, but let me ask you a question. Why do you want it? Why do you want it? Is it so that we can fill the pews? Is it so that we can fill the offering plates? Is it so that we can brag that we're the biggest church in town again as we were some 30, 50 years ago? Or is it so that God will be glorified? Is it so that his kingdom will be expanded? Is it so that lost people will come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Beloved, one factor about prayer, one thing you need to know is that when you are praying, God is not going to grant you your idols. He's not going to answer your prayer in such a way that will help you to live without him. He's not going to do that. That's a false hope. And so this morning, my purpose is that as we go through the next two Sundays, I I had originally planned on doing this only one Sunday. That's why uh, the passage on the board was supposed to go on through the Lord's Prayer. Um, I I forgot to tell Mark about that, so that was my fault. But um, one of the things we're going to talk about over the next two weeks is is we're going to slow down and discuss what Jesus teaches us about prayer what the disciples' prayer life and that the disciples' sincerity must be seen in their prayer life. Now, let me give you a little context here before we start, and that is is that, as you recall, last week we started back up in the Sermon on the Mount again. We are in Matthew chapter 6, and we're looking at the life of a disciple. And in the life of a disciple, we see that sincerity or genuineness is what must come along with the ways in which a disciple practices their holiness 
the way that they seek God. And we saw last week that that is true when it came to generosity. Jesus is going to give us three examples, generosity, prayer, and fasting. And yet what he does is that whereas generosity only takes up about two or three verses, where other fasting only takes up about two or three verses, aren't you glad for that? Prayer, on the other hand, takes up about 10 verses, And since Christ is emphasizing the life of a disciple in prayer, I think we would not be doing justice to the text if we did not slow down and at least give it two Sundays, twice as long as we're giving the others. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so we're gonna see from the next two weeks, we're gonna see that a disciple must genuinely, must sincerely pursue holiness when they pray. We must sincerely pursue holiness. And we're gonna see that in, in three different characteristics that Christ gives for a disciple's prayer. If you wanna have an effective prayer life, then you need your prayer needs to be defined by three overarching characteristics, two of which we're going to talk about this morning. And then the third one we're gonna save until next week. So let me go ahead and give them to you. If you want to have a prayer life that is, that is uh, honoring to God, then it must be characterized by praying uh, sincerely or praying genuinely. You must pray faithfully and you must pray biblically. And so we're gonna look at the first two of those this morning. So let's begin in verse uh, five. And we're gonna see that we must pray if, if a disciple is going to pursue genuine holiness in their prayer life, then number one, they must pray genuinely. Look what he says. He says in verse five, and when you pray, and again, notice he says when and not if. Talked about that last week. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Must not be like the hypocrites. Now, let me stop right there for a moment and let's ask, let's remind ourselves what we said last week. Because usually when you talk about hypocrites, you, you have a certain idea in mind, an actor, someone who's pretending to be something that they're not. But that's not exactly what Jesus is referring to here. Because the Pharisees, they did pray. They prayed three times a day, three hours a day, in fact. They gave to the poor. They fasted twice a week. They did all of these things. And so the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is referring to here is not someone who is pretending to do these things when they're not. That's what we tend to think of when we think of hypocrisy. But the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is referring to is people who are doing these things and they are self-deceived. Yes, they are deceiving others. The Pharisees were the most popular group in Jewish life. They had the heart of the people. Yes, they deceived others. But the number one person that they were deceiving was themselves. Because they thought that the accolades and the applause that they were getting from other people, they mistook that as evidence of God's approval on them. It was a deadly miscalculation. It was a deadly misunderstanding that cost them eternity. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like them. Don't pray like them. How do hypocrites pray? Well, he tells us in verse five, he says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. They love to pray in these places. Now, synagogues and street corners, I mean, why, why would they not pray in synagogues, right? I mean, that's, the, that's a house of prayer, right? The name actually means house of gathering. And, and one of the reasons why you would gather together is to have your prayer time with others. So you would kind of expect that. But don't think of synagogues as just a just a worship service. That's, that's not all it was. In Jewish life, the synagogue was kind of the center of Jewish life. 
It was really kind of functioned as a community center. That's, that's where you went to, that's where, you know, Jewish school was done. That's where a lot of different things would take place. A lot of different groups would meet there throughout the week and, and different things like that. So, so uh, I know uh, maybe some of you go to the senior center, for example, and, and you spend a lot of time there and things like that. Maybe some of you go to the community center that we have here in town. That's kind of how the synagogue functioned during the week. And it also functioned like a public school, if you will. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, it's not just that they were praying on, on Saturdays in order to pray in front of everyone, but they were praying in the synagogues and they were also praying on the street corners. And again, when you think of street corner, don't think of you know, illicit activity or stuff like we tend to use street corners today, but, but think of like Times Square, you know, the many squares in New York where these were kind of places where people would do trading and they would do business and, and stuff like that. And the point is, is that they love to go to places and pray where people would hear them. That's the point. They love to go where the people were. And just like we saw last week, and, and, and maybe they loved it because they thought they had genuine motives. They, they, they thought they were giving a good example. They thought they were doing this or that, or they thought that was how they were supposed to pray or whatever. But the truth is, is that just like we saw last week when they do this, Jesus says, I'm telling you truly, I am, I am telling you, you better get this. They have received their reward. They've got the accolades of men. They've got the applause of the people. But they don't have the favor of God. It's a deadly miscalculation. It's an eternal mistake. And so how does Jesus correct us in verse six? He says, but when you, my disciple, when you pray... Go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret, that's when he will reward you. Now, is Jesus forbidding all public prayer? You know, have we committed sin this morning by praying out loud and asking people to pray out loud? Have we sinned in doing that? No, that's not the point here. In fact, Jesus himself prayed publicly many times in the gospel. So, so he's not forbidding public prayer here. That's not the issue. And by the way, we need to be careful, even in private prayer, we need to be careful that we're not doing it in order to score points with God. We're not using prayer as a means to try to get ahead with God. We need to, we need to watch that in our hearts. Even private prayer can be abused. God has given us prayer so that we may know him and that we may commune with him and that we may engage him. It's about intimacy with God and engaging with God to speak with God. We can do that in public, sure, but the real intimacy comes if we are truly seeking intimacy with God, then we will take private time and we will shut out all distractions so that we can have that true intimacy with God. Let's face it, you can you can say things to God in the, in the privacy of your inner room that quite frankly, I don't think we'd wanna pray out here in public, right? I know I wouldn't. I know Art surely wouldn't. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, we, there, there's an intimacy there that, that, that we can have in private that we cannot have anywhere else. Behind a shut door, able to speak to God about our lives, seeking his perspective and power to apply his word in our circumstances. That's what we're looking for. In fact, God says, he tells us in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse seven, this command that we so often miniaturize and we reduce to really nothing more than swearing but here's what he says. He says, you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless 
who takes his name in vain. And so often we reduce that to nothing more than just swearing or cursing or using his name in vile ways. But beloved, the truth is, is that the reality, any way that we use God's name or claim his name in a way that is not in keeping with his glory is taking his name in vain. When we use his name or use our faith in him in any way that is in keeping with something we want, our glory, our little kingdoms, instead of seeking his face, his glory, and his kingdom, when we're using God is really nothing more than a genie to give us what we want. That is taking his name in vain taking his name in a, in a way of vanity. And so beloved, pursue sincerity in your prayer life. And where we have not been sincere in our prayer, confess that to the Lord. Confess that to him. Beloved, what are, what are some of the ways that perhaps we do this? Well, let me ask you a question. Is the, let me ask you a few questions here. And I would just, I would just invite you to seek your heart. Search your heart. Be honest with yourself. Is the only time you pray is when you're at church or around others? Is that the only time you pray? Is the only time your family prays together, is it at the dinner table? Parents, did you stop praying together when your kids moved out? Or here's one. Have you told someone that you prayed for their request this week when you know in your heart of hearts that you forgot? Have you done that? All of these ways are ways that we use prayer. If we're not careful, we use prayer to promote our own ends. I I don't want you to know that I forgot uh, that you told me about this. So I'm going to tell you I prayed for you, even though I know in my heart of hearts that I forgot. What are we doing there if not trying to puff ourselves up? Trying to avoid looking bad? trying to avoid having to ask forgiveness of our brother or sister? Beloved, are you in a conflict and, and are you using prayer as a means to try to outpray the person that you're in the conflict with? You're trying, to, you're trying to get your way in this conflict. So you're trying to one-up God other than the one with whom you are in a conflict with. Are you using prayer that way? What is that if not a selfish means? to try to manipulate God to do what you want him to? Beloved, that's a pagan God. That's not the God of the Bible. And he's not listening to that. So beloved, be careful. If you've done these things, confess them. Confess them, John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of righteousness, brothers and sisters. If you are using prayer as a means to get your own way instead of seeking God's way, confess that to the Lord this morning and seek prayer sincerely. Seek sincerity in your prayer. But secondly, and and lastly this morning, is that we also need to pray faithfully. We also need to pray faithfully. Look what he goes on to say in verse seven. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard in their many words. Now, now, let me say, let me just kind of tell you what I mean by faithfully here. Look at Jesus' second example. He says, don't pray like the Gentiles. Who are we talking about here? Well, <laughs> we're talking about us because we're not Jews. But, but specifically what he means is that when you pray, don't pray like the Gentiles pray to their false gods. In other words, don't let your prayer be affected by the means and by the uses that that the Gentiles use in order to pray to some pagan God. 
that the Bible actually tells us is a demon and not God to begin with. Beloved, don't ever forget this. There are spiritual realities behind false gods. They're not God. They're demonic. Is there a demon named Allah? You better believe there is. Is there a demon named Buddha? You better believe there is. And all of these others. Don't take on their practices. Don't take on. That's what Jesus is saying here. The idea is not to pray to God in the same way that other peoples pray to their false gods. That's the idea. And so he turns from hypocrites to heathen. And he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, no, but don't pray like the heathen either. And how do they pray? Jesus describes it in two ways. The first way is that they heap up empty phrases, or a better way of putting it is that they practice meaningless repetition. In other words, the way that these guys used to pray, the way that these false uh, religions used to pray was that they would have these certain chants or they would have these certain things that they would put together, kind of string of words that they thought had magical powers. And they would say them over and over. They would chant them over and over and over again, working themselves up into kind of a a hypnotic euphoria. In fact, there was even a word for this. It was called ecstasy. That's what it was referred to as. By the way, doesn't that sound like a lot of worship that's passing around as Christian worship nowadays? In fact, you know what modern tongues are called? Ecstatic tongues. There's a connection here, okay? There is a connection here. And so they would say these words, these magical incantations over and over and over until they worked themselves up into this hypnotic euphoria And that's when they believed that they were, quote unquote, experiencing God. And so God says they were using meaningless repetition, but another way is that they were praying by heaping up many words. They think by their many words (coughs) that they will be heard by God. See, See, pagan gods, if you know anything about Roman and Greek gods, you know that they were just a bunch of spoiled brats. They really didn't care about what was going on in the world. They, they certainly didn't care about humans. And so what the, what the worshipers had to do is they had to keep calling them and keep calling them and keep calling them and keep calling them over and over and over again, hopefully that they can bug them enough to where the God will finally say, fine, whatever, just, just do it. Just don't bother me anymore. How many parents can relate to that? Yeah, we relate to that, don't we? We know exactly what that's about. You know what? Go hit your sister. Go set her on fire. That's fine. Just leave me alone. (laughs) I don't want justice in this house. I want quiet. (laughs) You ever said that before? (laughs) And so, and that's exactly the mentality that people took to their false gods. That we had to, that we had to number one, earn their attention somehow. And then number two, we had to inform them of what we needed. Now, again, we need to be precise here. What exactly is Christ forbidding? Is he forbidding praying the same prayer twice? No, he's not forbidding that. Say, so how do you know that? Because Luke 18, verses one through eight, he gives a parable to that regard. He says he tells this parable in order that his disciples may pray and not give up. And he tells the parable of the importune widow asking for justice. So that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying, uh, I knew of a, a lady, a very godly woman, and she used to say that I will never pray for the same thing twice because, because once I pray for it the first time, for me to pray for it again is a lack of faith. God knows I need it because I've told him. Well, beloved, that's kind of like, you know, the old uh, saying where, well, you know, I don't tell my wife I love her anymore because I told her on my wedding day and I haven't changed my mind. How well does that work? It doesn't right? 
Christ is not forbidding that. He's not saying don't be importune in your prayer. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying, the exam, in fact, a great example of what you can see what he is forbidding is in 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember the story where Elijah is having the contest with the prophets of Baal? And look at how they prayed. Look at how the prophets prayed. They said they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us, answer us, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And so what did they do? They limp around the altar that they had made. <laughs> and it goes on, it says, they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. It goes on and says, and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. <coughs> and that's, that's the kind of prayer that he is talking about. It says they went on to cut themselves and all these things, whereas Elijah, when it came to his turn, all he did was pray a simple prayer to God and fire came down from heaven. The issue is not praying importunely. The, the issue is not praying over and over and over again for something, but the issue is having a view of God that is more pagan than it is biblical and letting that determine how our prayer life is. That's the issue. This is why Jesus says in verse eight, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. Your father in heaven is nothing like the false gods of the world. Your father in heaven is nothing like the ideals of the culture. And therefore, there is no reason to pray to him that way. There's no reason to pray to God in the way that pagans pray. There's no reason to seek God in a way that the culture tells us to seek God. Our understanding and our view of God will shape how we pray. And so we must understand and know the God of the Bible. And that is what I mean by pray faithfully. We have faith in the God who reveals himself through Jesus Christ and through his inspired word. We let scripture teach us how to pray and not the world. We don't dive into unbiblical mysticism. We don't look into unbiblical and, and new age practices to supplement our prayer lives. We allow the scripture to be sufficient and enough to teach us how to pray. If we needed more, God would have given us more, beloved. He gave us exactly what we need. And just think about this. Think about the different truths that are involved here. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you even ask. Think about the different truths of God that back up just even that one little statement. For example, he is all-knowing. That one's pretty easy, right? He knows what you need before you even ask. But he's also good. He's all good. He cares for you enough and he pays attention enough to you that he is aware of what you need. He's not some aloof God up there playing rummy with the other gods, whatever it was that the Greek gods were doing. But he's attentive. He's good. And he knows what you need. God is sovereign. Notice what it says. He knows what you need. Even better than we do. You know, sometimes we get our needs and our wants a little confused. That tends to get a little fuzzy in our hearts. He is sovereign. He knows what we need. And he provides it according to his greatest glory and our greatest good. He who gives the grace, what? Gets the glory. That's right. He is present. He's present in our lives. He doesn't just sit back and he's not really involved until he hears from us, but 
He knows what we need before we ask. And he's all wise. He's all wise. He knows what we need before we even ask. In fact, he's the one that gives us the wisdom to know what we need to pray for. He's the one, if you require wisdom, ask of God. He gives generously. He's the one who knows exactly what we need. He's the one who helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even know how to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit is within us making intercession for us, and the Son is in heaven making intercession to the Father. Beloved, do you recognize that you have the whole Trinity with you when you pray? Why would you ignore that? Thinking to yourself, I've got this. I don't need them. And by the way, that we could go on and on. We can go on and on. The point is this. Are your prayers shaped by these truths or are they shaped by cultural and your own ideas of who God is that may or may not be biblical, be scriptural, reflective of how he has revealed himself to be. What in our hearts is shaping our prayers? I told our Sunday school class, we're getting kind of a double dose this morning because we're talking about prayer in Sunday school too. And, and one of the things that uh, I love is a quote by John Stott. He says, prayer is not only the ultimate evidence of our godliness, but it is the ultimate evidence of our humanity. It's not, we don't pray just because we want to be godly. We pray because we are human and we are designed by God to be dependent on him. It is an act of rebellion. It is an act of, of wanting to be God that causes our prayerlessness. I'm not dependent on anyone. I don't need to pray. That's trying to be God. That's not trying to be like God. And so, beloved, are our prayers being shaped by these truths? Or are they being shaped by something else? A.W. Tozer has said, the most important thing about a person is what they believe about God. John Calvin began his great institutes by saying this. He said, nearly all wisdom that we possess consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of God. Of ourselves. He's absolutely right. So come to know God. Seek to know him more and more. So many Christians are chasing ideas and worshiping in ways that reflect more the culture and reflect more even downright paganism than they reflect the scriptures and the God who reveals himself in them. Let our prayers be prayers that reflect God and not our culture and not our own hearts even. But let them be prayers that are shaped by Scripture. Let them be prayers that are taught of Scripture. And let us in our prayers seek scriptural, godly, and, and eternal perspectives and truths and desires so that we will desire to be more like Christ in our prayers. Because that is the whole point, to be like Christ so that we may glorify him. So, beloved, this morning we've looked at two instructions, two characteristics, and we're going to look at the third one next week. But to help build our prayer lives, we, we must pray sincerely, we must pray genuinely, and we must pray faithfully. We, we looked at that this morning, and, and of course, like Jesus in this text, we, we focused on more what not to do. Now, next week, we're going to focus more on a model of biblical prayer to follow, and we're going to look at that. Uh, but I, I, I do want to give you just a few helps this morning as we conclude. I, I want to give you a few helps that you can take with you to begin building a sincere prayer life this morning and this afternoon and as you go about. So let me just give you kind of three helps to take with you. Number one, the first one we see right here in the text, and that's find somewhere alone. Find somewhere alone. Go to your inner room. Maybe it's a closet. Maybe it's an empty room. Maybe it's a porch swing in your backyard or on your porch. I guess technically it would be a yard swing. If it, anyway, you get the point. 
Maybe it's even a storm shelter. Maybe that's the only place you can get peace and quiet. Wherever it is where you can get some privacy. Maybe for you, maybe you're an outdoorsman and you like to be out in the woods and and that's kind of your place. Me, my idea of roughing it is Holiday Inn Express. So for me, it's usually gonna be inside somewhere. But wherever it is for you, wherever it is that you are comfortable, find that place and be there. And spouses, you might need to help out here. You might need to, to help kind of keep the kids for a certain part of the day or, or whatever so that your spouse can be alone to pray. I've mentioned before the idea of going to Hobby Lobby or, or Walmart and, and just buying one, a little bitty wreath or something like that that you can hang on your doorknob and, and train your family to know that when that wreath is on the doorknob of your bedroom, that is your prayer time. And, and do not, please do not disturb unless it's an emergency. You can do something like that. Get creative, but get alone. Get creative. Whatever you need to do to have your time alone with God is what you need to do. Number two, set a specific time. You know, Daniel in chapter six, verse 10, it says that he prayed three times per day. And that's where the Pharisees got their practice. They would pray in the morning, they would pray at noon, they would pray at night. Listen, just because the Pharisees did it doesn't mean it's a bad idea, okay? But set a specific time for prayer. Whatever it is, once a day, twice a day, Whatever it is, but set a specific time. In fact, uh, use some of these wonderful tools we have today. Uh, use your smartphones to set an alarm on your phone. Maybe some of us are wearing these uh, computers on our wrist, you know. Uh, use, your, use your smartwatch to set an alarm and say, this is my time and, and guard it. Use a prayer app if you have a smartphone. In fact, our Sunday school class uses an app called Echo Prayer. And I, and I really recommend it. In fact, I've been tempted to set up a group and set up a church group in that app so that we can share prayer requests with each other. Um, our, our Sunday school class uses this app to share prayer requests with one another. And so get something like that, echo prayer or, or whatever, just find one and, and use it. You can set up reminders. You can set up reminders for specific prayer requests and, and different things like that. But whatever it is, use some kind of tool to help you set up a specific time for prayer. You say, well, that's all well and good, but I don't really know how to pray. How can I start that this week? Well, let me give you a simple suggestion. Pray biblical prayers. Pray biblical prayers. For instance, throughout scripture, we see that the apostles and even Jesus, when he was on the cross, what did he do? He prayed scripture. And that's okay, you can do that. In fact, if you think about it, what what does the Bible say? The Bible says that when you pray according to God's will, let me ask you a question. How How are we absolutely sure that we are praying God's will? What's the only time we really know? It's when we're praying scripture. It is always God's will. When you're praying scripture, you can rest assured that it is always God's will that people will be more conformed to the scriptures. You don't know that it's God's will to heal such and such. You don't know that it's God's will that someone come out of a surgery. You don't know that it's God's will for all of these other things. But one thing you always know is that this is God's will. You always know that. So use it. Use it in your prayers. Let me, and, and, and I'm already running late, so let, I, let me just give you those. Praying for one another. For example, beloved, I pray for you often, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. That's a wonderful prayer to pray for people. Another one is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, that you would know the depth, the height, the width, and the breadth to know the surpassing value of Christ's love. Oh, that our church would know that. How can we know that? Pray it for each other. You say, I don't know how to pray for someone unless there's something wrong in their lives. Great, now you do. Pray for them, right? Spouses, don't use Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 to beat one another over the head. Use it as a prayer request list for your spouses. Use it to pray for one another. 
to pray those things for one another. And by the way, beloved, your pastor and your deacons request your prayers all the time. You can always pray for me and you can always pray for our church leadership, amen? You say, well, I don't know what they need. Yeah, you do. First Timothy three, that's what they need. Don't use that as a job description. Use it as a prayer list. Use it to pray for me. Use it to pray for, for Brother Roy and Brother Art and for some other men that need to be called as deacons. And really, for any occasion, it's always good to pray the Psalms. The Psalms are good for any occasion. Beloved, the point is, sincerely seek the Lord. Use your prayer life to genuinely pursue holiness, not reputation. Use prayer to seek the Lord and not your own puffed up reputation. <coughs> you always know you're praying God's will when you pray the scriptures. And beloved, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your savior, I can tell you more than anything else what God's will for you is this morning is that you would be saved, is that you would know Christ as your savior. And he came on the earth. He lived a perfectly righteous life to earn the righteousness that you could never get on your own. And then he died on the cross for your sins so that you can have complete and total forgiveness. And because it was enough, God raised Christ on the third day and now he has ascended to the right hand of God and he's offering himself to you as a savior, as a deliverer, and a rescue from God's wrath. And so how do you need to respond? You need to respond in faith. Faith in two different ways. You need to respond by repenting of your sins, by, by turning from your sin and self Stop trying to run your own life because all that's gonna lead to is disaster. And instead, turn to Christ in full trust of his forgiveness and submit to him as the Lord that he is. And you will be saved and you can know Christ and that is God's will for you. And that's what we're praying for you this morning if you're here is that you would know Christ before you leave today. And I invite you, if you're here this morning and you need to talk about that or you need to talk about your prayer life or you need to talk about uh, some other thing, I pray you would come and I pray you would respond. Our Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. I thank you for uh, these principles that you have given us. And Lord, I pray that first of all, just as just as the shepherd that you have given this church, Lord, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm not even the best pastor they've ever had. But Lord, I do know there is nothing that I can do apart from prayer. And I pray you would revive my prayer life. I pray that you would drive me deeper into prayer. And Lord, in the same way, I pray that you will... Pray, you will make our church a praying church. Lord, by your grace, you have made us a studying church. And I'm so thankful for that. I see so many of us taking notes during sermons and, and so many are involved in small groups now and, and, they're, and they're learning your word and they're doing so wonderful. But Lord, I pray that we would excel even more and specifically that we would excel in prayer. For we can do nothing apart from prayer. Prayer is to us what breath is to life. And Lord, if we are not people of prayer, we will be people of division. We will be people of suffering. We will be people of temptation. Lord, prayer, as J.C. Ryle said so many years ago, prayer and sinning cannot live in the same heart. 
Prayer will either consume sin or sin will choke prayer. And I pray this morning if there's one here that's being consumed by temptation, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to genuine prayer, to seek forgiveness, to mortify their sin, and to pursue holiness. I pray whatever your need is, as we stand and as we, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads for a few moments to reflect on everything that's been said this morning from the word. If you're here this morning and you have a need, I I invite you to come forward. If not now, you can certainly do so after service, but whatever your need is, if you can't wait, I, I invite you to come now as our musicians play. How is your prayer life this week? Have you prayed for the Lord's will? Have you prayed seeking Him? Or are you trying to outpray someone you're in a conflict with? Maybe you're trying to pray in order to seek your idols so you can be more independent of God. Or maybe you haven't prayed at all. And you know in your heart of hearts, your fellowship with God is broken. I invite you to come. But more than that, I invite you to make small steps every day to put yourself in the right direction and to be sustained by God's daily provision of grace for you. It doesn't matter how many times you failed. What matters is what you do tomorrow, what you do this afternoon, and what you do right now. That's what matters.